Good morning. It looks like we should have handed out some vitamin C last Sabbath. Well, we're going to be looking at part two of immortality. Uh, In our first part, it was we're looking at scriptures that really talk about how God innately hath immortality. And for us, immortality is a gift from God. It's the same as saying that we have eternal life from God. Uh, Someone had to give life. We're the recipients of life, but he's the giver of life. He's the life giver. And there had to be someone in the universe, for there to even be a universe. Someone had to be beyond death. Someone where death can't even affect them. Uh, Someone who could give life and sustain the universe. And that is God. He's the one uniquely like that. Uh, And it's okay that we're dependent upon God for life, isn't it? And uh, we can be thankful to him for even this day of life. And, and of course, the promise of eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Today's theme is going to focus a little bit more on um, immortality in connection with the resurrection of the dead and the second coming of Christ. And I, I wanted to read, let's see, our scripture reading, 1 Corinthians 15. I wonder if you, if you caught that. For as in Adam all die. And why is that? Because everything produces after its kind. You see, like a seed. And so when we're born of the seed of Adam, what happens to everybody born of the seed of Adam? They will die, but if we're born again of the seed of Christ who's been risen... See, this is how we have life. It's through the seed, Christ. We don't have eternal life through Adam. We only have eternal life through Christ because we're born of an eternal seed, which is Christ. That's our hope. But notice the, the order here. This is beautiful. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. It's a contrast. Because of Adam's sin, we all die. But because Christ came and conquered death, We can live forever. But notice what it says here. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits. So that means that his is the preeminent one. Uh, We know that Moses was risen from the dead. So Christ wasn't the first in time. But Moses could only be risen because of the promise of a Messiah who would die and be risen, right? All had been prophesied. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward, they that are Christ, all believers, at his, at his coming. Christ has been risen, and those who belong to Christ, believers, would wind up being risen to life again when? At his coming. That's actually very clear, isn't it? It's a very beautiful verse. And we're going to be looking at verses similar to that today. Okay, so... Is it going to work? It worked earlier, right? Oh, okay. Now probably five slides ahead. But, uh, you know, this is a, a beautiful, I, I mentioned this in the last sermon, and, and Christ was telling his disciples that he was going away. 
and that where he was going, they couldn't go now. But he says that in John 13, Jesus says to his disciples, little children, yet a little while I'm with you. Uh, ye shall seek me, and I, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, whither I go, which was to heaven, thou canst not follow me when? You can't go now, but thou shalt, future, follow me afterwards. And the question is, after when? When's afterwards? Okay. Jesus says in the very next chapter, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I, prepare to go, I, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Second coming, right? And receive you unto myself that where I am, heaven, there you may be also. So Christ, first of all, says in John 13, where I'm going, you can't go now, but you will be there. But it's not until, as it says in John 14, you're not going to be there until I come again a second time. Okay? When he comes a second time, then they can go to heaven. So the Bible doesn't teach that people go to heaven at the time of death. The saints go to heaven at the time of Christ's second coming. Okay? And we're going to see that as we go through this. guess I clicked over here, right? <laughs> Hold my tongue just right. Okay, I heard it buzz. Maybe I'll point at you back there. <laughs> Can you flip my next slide on the computer? Could be a battery thing, I guess. Huh? But anyway, let me go to the next text here. So if you want to turn to Hebrews... The book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 36 through 40, it talks about how God has something better. And he's going to talk about people. Did it work? Okay, there we are. Okay. I'll let you guys click it. <laughs> they were stoned. Now we're talking about those who had preceded the disciples and so forth and they were stoned, they were sawn asunder like Isaiah, were tempted, were slain with the sword. The faithful, right? They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. And these all, having attained a good report through faith, received not the promise. What's the promise? Eternal life. They hadn't received it yet. They hadn't got their new bodies. They're not living on a new earth yet, Right? God having provided something better for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. In other words, we're all going to be made perfect when? Together, at the second coming. So the, the picture that God has, he didn't want to have a system where people, as soon as they died, they all individually went to heaven. His better plan is that we all get to go to heaven together. Now imagine that scene. I don't know how many of the redeemed there's going to be, but we're going to probably conclude the sermon 
with this concept that there will be male and female in heaven, but we won't be childbearing in heaven. Okay? Um, because God, when he made mankind, male and female, they were to fill the earth. But once the earth is filled, they're not going to have children anymore, right? Because where are you going to put them? So there, so this, this gift of procreation was temporary to begin with. So in a one way, God is waiting for a number. When we, as the redeemed, will fill the earth and not need the ability to reproduce. It doesn't mean there's going to be 70 different genders or just one gender, like a unisex. There will still be male and female, I'm sure of that. The Bible doesn't say it won't be like that. It just means that we won't procreate like we're able to today to fill the earth. But again, once it's filled. So we all get to go to heaven together and imagine there will be millions. There will be enough people that when we return at the end of the thousand years, we'll be able to occupy the new earth. That's a lot of people. It's probably a good billion people, right? At least. But this is going to include people from the antediluvian world and since the flood. And it just those numbers are, are pretty large. I mean, John saw the 144,000, a numbered group, but then he saw a what? An innumerable group that he could not count, like the sand of the sea. Uh, most will find the way that's broad that leads to destruction, but there is a way that leads to life. But that doesn't mean a handful make it. It's still millions and millions of people that will bring glory to God by living for eternity, giving praise to him, right? It's a lot of people. We're not told what the number is, but God knows the number, right? We know God's waiting for a second number, and I just mentioned it. What number is that? The 144,000. I mean, we're told that Christ won't come back until, really, there's the 144,000. And the reason we know that is because between the second and, or between the sixth and seventh seal, I mean, you got the first six seals in chapter six, you don't get the seventh seal until chapter eight, there's a whole chapter in between, which is a structural, God structurally purposed that, so that we knew before the seventh seal something had to happen. Before Christ comes back, and what's chapter 7 about? 144,000. So God's saying, you know, I'm really waiting for two numbers. I remember Elder Spear saying that. I preached with Elder Spear all around the world. He says, God's waiting for two numbers. He's waiting for the 144,000, which is really clear in Scripture. And they're called the first fruits. And you never have a harvest until you first present the first fruits. That's what would happen that you would present the first fruits at the sanctuary, and then you could go harvest your fields. So you had to have first fruits before a harvest. And the harvest of Christ is the second coming. So for Christ, before he comes back, he has to present a, a first fruit, which is 144,000. But Ron Spear always said there, had, there was a second number, and that was God knew how many would make up his kingdom together, which only God would know. But it makes sense to me that if we're not going to be having children on the new earth, then there must be a number that God knows about filling the earth, which was the original purpose of man, was that we are created in his image and we were to fill the earth with people who 
reflected the image of God. What a beautiful world. A world not of three people or ten people reflecting God's image. The whole earth. Everybody that lives. That's how we as a human race give glory to God. And this is why we want to see God's kingdom extended. Is so that he is honored by everybody that lives on the surface of this planet. Is reflecting the image of Jesus Christ. Okay? Praise God. Okay, Ron, it's your job. <laughs> you have that magic touch. <laughs> oh, there we go. Now, in Acts, I found this very interesting. Oh, well, there's some scriptures here. I'm sorry. So there, there, So going back to the last slide, they hadn't received the promise yet, the promise of a, a, a glorified body, an incorruptible body, a new earth. The, those who've gone before haven't yet received that promise. But that doesn't mean the promise is a good. It's just that we get to all receive the promise together. We get to wind up receiving our crowns together. Enter the new Jerusalem together. It's a beautiful plan. And imagine millions and millions and millions of the saints traveling at the second coming of Christ back to heaven. Imagine the universe washing this collection of millions, tens, if not hundreds of millions of people with their new bodies seven days journey to heaven. It would be quite a sight. But imagine all the unfallen worlds rejoicing at that sight. They've been watching this play out for 6,000 years, and finally, it's over. And here's the results, right? But we know that other scriptures talk about how they haven't received the promise. David has not yet ascended into the heavens, right? Paul tells us that. Uh, Jesus says to Martha, whose brother Lazarus had died, uh, Thy brother shall rise again. Uh, and Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again when? In the resurrection at the last day. And that's how people in the Bible understood it. The people in the Bible didn't understand that as soon as you die, you go to heaven or hell right away. They understood the resurrection. They believed it. They taught it, which is why that's all that we find in the Bible teaching. Now, it says here, for as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Therefore be ye also ready for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. And the reason I put that up there is we just established that we wind up receiving the, the, the prize, the promise of, of a resurrection, new bodies, and it eventually, a thousand years later, a new earth, uh, at the second coming. But guess what? We don't know when the second coming is. Right? So when people say you go to heaven immediately when you die, well, it's just not a true statement. In fact, we actually don't know when we all get to go to heaven. But God knows. We do know it's soon. We believe that, Right? Uh, we, we are already on probationary time. I believe it, that it's sooner than perhaps that we know. I mean, it's not going to be next week, and we know that because we don't have a Sunday law yet. There's a lot, there's some things that have to happen before Christ returns prophetically, um, which are things that could happen at almost any moment. And those things, those events will happen very quickly. So the coming of the Lord could, could potentially be in a year. It's probably going to be a little longer than that. I've got to be careful saying that because last day events are rapid ones. But even if it's in a few years, that's not a very long time. But in a few years, we could be going home. Okay? 
You could be going home in a new body. How's that sound? On your way to heaven, spending a Sabbath on the way. Does that sound pretty nice? But my point is, is that we look forward to the second coming. We've been a church that's been preaching the second coming, and all those who began preaching have already died. But we've taken up the baton, and we're the next runner in the race, and we, we hope that we're the gener- generation that's the fourth runner that crosses the finish line. But someone's going to be that fourth runner in a relay race, and I'm hoping that we're that, that one that holds the baton and cross that finish line. And all those who've gone before us, even though they're not aware of what's happening in the world, are only waiting for us. If we're the last runner in the race, they don't receive the promise until we what? We finish the work in our generation. So we want to cross that finish line so that everybody can receive the promise. Okay? And it's a glorious event. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then shall he reward every man according to his works. So people don't receive the reward at death. That's not a glorious event. God makes sure that the glorious event of our resurrection is surrounded by one of the most remarkable events ever in the history of the universe. Imagine that. The Son of God with human nature, a glorified human body, returning with how many angels? All the angels. I mean, what an event. I I don't know if Jesus has ever gone anywhere in the universe with all these angels before, but he is going to do it this time. And that's a glorious event that the universe will never forget. So this isn't something, oh, you go to heaven as soon as you die. And, you know, there's people who die alone. There's people who die in auto accidents. It's not a glorious event. But this is a glorious event. The resurrection of the saints is a glorious event of the coming of the Lord in all power and glory. It's not some little incident that happens. It is a planned event by heaven itself. And this is huge, and we're going to talk a little bit more about it as we go on. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with all the angels with power and great glory. So the resurrection is a most blessed event. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. He that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And the armies which were... Uh, which were in heaven followed him, those be the angels on white horses, clothed in fine linen, fine linen, white and clean, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is a special event because Jesus is not coming as a lamb, he's not coming as a priest, he's coming as he's coming as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is a special event. And so your resurrection, imagine that. Wouldn't you rather have it that way? Wouldn't you rather be risen from your dusty grave at this glorious event when Christ comes with all his angels? You get to go to heaven together as the saints. I mean, this is better, right? This is better than what's being preached in these other churches. There's really not much appeal that way, you know. But what is appealing is the way the scripture describes it. Now, thinking of Christ as King and King, the Lord of Lords, we have a couple holidays. We have D-Day, which was when the Allied forces, of course, landed on the beaches of Normandy. Was that an important event? That was so important that they landed these massive troops at Normandy because 
it turned the tide. You know, if Normandy didn't happen, we all might be speaking Deutsch today, you know. But the thing is, is that Normandy happened, but it changed something. They changed the course of the war, but it's not the end of the war. And that's why we have another holiday called V-Day. V-Day represents when Germany surrendered. So we have two big events in this planet that has to do with the war we're facing, which is bigger than facing the Nazis. The incarnation and the second coming. The incarnation is the first coming of Christ when he puts on human nature. And that changed the course of the war. Christ coming in human flesh and living a sinless life changes the whole course of this war against evil. Isn't that something? And Jesus came here in human flesh and showed us the Father. That's a game changer. Because people are still wondering, in a way, what is God like? And Jesus showed us the Father. Jesus dies on the cross, takes on all our sins. Did that change anything? Absolutely. Satan is defeated, but he's hoping that Jesus will remain in a tomb. But when Jesus is resurrected, guess what? It changed everything. It changed the course of the war against evil, and Satan was a defeated foe. But the war's not over. The war continues for another 2,000 years. But V-Day is coming, friends. V-Day is coming. And V-Day is when what? At the second coming of Christ. Seven last plagues fall, destroy all that's evil on the face of this planet. Christ comes and resurrects his saints who will never face death again. They will live forever. And just like we have Celebrate D-Day and V-Day, two big events in the history of fighting against evil in our world. The incarnation of Christ and also the second coming of Christ. So when we have people preaching, oh, you're going to die and go to heaven right away, it steals away the beauty of the resurrection or the, the second coming of Christ. It's the second coming of Christ where this victory over death is sealed. Right now, those who've gone before, I mean, we just read it. Those who've gone before us have not yet received the promise. The grave still holds them. But the second coming changes everything. Isn't that something? And this is why God raised us up. He says, I want you to talk about the, the nature of my son putting on human flesh, incarnation. Isn't that part of our message? That uh, most of the churches have all that wrong. They've got the nature of Christ wrong in his humanity. And we're the ones that are focused on his return. It's, this is why God raised us up, to talk about the D-Day and the V-Day of Christianity. It's why we exist as a people. Paul explains that for as an Adam all die, this was our scripture reading, so in Christ shall all be made alive, but every man in his own order. Christ, the first fruits after they that are Christ, when? At his coming. Jesus himself said not... Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the what? Grave shall what? Now, how are they going to hear his voice if they're dead? <laughs> well, it's because they're going to get their hearing back. 
And shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. How many resurrections are there? There are two, but what's being taught in the churches is how many are there? Billions. There'd be billions of resurrections. If everybody goes to heaven or hell at the time of death, in a way, it's already been decided. There'd be no purpose of a judgment. There wouldn't even be purpose for us to even talk about the second coming of Christ if people are already in heaven or hell right away. What would be the point? It wouldn't matter. But it does matter. It does matter. But it's when his voice thunders throughout the earth and he calls forth, like he did Lazarus, all the sleeping saints. If the Bible mentions only two resurrections, then it must be referring to two groups. Right? The saved and the unsaved, the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the tares. So Revelation 20 explains this. Blessed is holy is he that hath part in which one? The first, and, and there's not a third. Uh, the first resurrection on which the second death hath no power. What is the second death? Where there's no hope of a what? A resurrection. Some people will die twice. They'll die the death that everybody faces, and then they're raised to face the judgment. And everybody has a right to have their day in court. Everybody has a right to know why they didn't receive eternal life. And every knee will bow. Because the judge of all the earth is righteous. That even the wicked recognize that his judgment is just. And they'll see just where they made their mistakes and didn't take hold of the opportunities to know God. Um, They chose rather to know temporal things. They didn't take the time to know eternal things. And that's what the devil tries to get us so caught up in the earthly and the temporals that we don't spend enough time thinking about what's eternal. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. And as we've preached for almost the inception of our church is that there are two resurrections. There's not three, but there are two, and they are a thousand years apart. And if you have part in the first one, you'll never die again. That's it. No more death. Death is defeated. Now, this is really important because Christ is our example. Is that right? So when Jesus was resurrected on the third day, what did he have? He had a body. Well, if Christ is my example, and when he's resurrected, he has a body, then what happens to me? Oh, I would have a body too. But Jesus wasn't raised as some disembodied spirit. He was raised with a body. What kind of body? An immortal body, a glorious immortal body. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. So because Christ is the first fruits, he's the most important, the eminent one, of which hangs everybody's resurrection, um, is because he is risen. As Paul says, if Christ be not raised... Our faith is in vain. Okay? Our faith would be in vain. But Christ is risen. And when we're risen, he's the firstborn from the Colossians 1.18. Yeah. Not from anywhere else, but the grave itself. Was he not in the tomb for three days? 
That doesn't mean 72 hours, but it means Friday, Sabbath, and Sunday, right? Incorruptible translated body. But some men will say, how are the dead raised up? That's 1 Corinthians 15.35. And with what body do they come? You see, people in the Bible didn't talk about people being raised without a body. They're asking the question, in the restaurant, what kind of body will they have? Now, there are some people teaching within Christianity that will have a different body than we have now, which is partly true. But they call it a spiritual body, like it's like if I was to live in the ocean, I'd be like I'd have gills, I'd have a different body, right? I'd have to have a different body if I was going to live in the ocean, right? Or if I lived on Mars, I'd probably need a different body because, you know, they don't have oxygen there. But they make it seem like heaven is a different environment where you'll get a different kind of body. But here's the problem with that. When God created everything in this world, he said it was was very good. There's nothing wrong with our body. The problem is sin. And the wages of sin is death. There's nothing wrong with this body except now that it's going to die because of sin. Not because God didn't make a good enough body. That he has to give us an entirely different kind of body. You know? No, we're going to be resurrected. And we'll look at some statements here. And we'll recognize each other. But notice some of these things. So some people are asking, what kind of body are we going to have? So also is the resurrection of dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. That's, That's an idea, right? It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. That's another thought. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in and power. So let's, let's think about those things. It is first sown in corruption. Do I have a corruptible body right now? Yes. Yeah, my cells do die. They, they, they get replenished, but I'm falling apart, obviously, and I'm going to die. My body will wear out, and it, it's, it is a corruptible body. But that doesn't mean God did something wrong. It just means that you live in this world, and you break the laws of health. It's You're, you're going to die. But this will be raised as a incorruptible body. You're still going to have a body. The issue isn't whether you have a body or a disembodied spirit. It's what kind of body. You see what I'm saying? The, the Bible is not raising whether you're going to have a body or not. It's raising what kind of body you're going to have. And so you're going to go from this corruptible body where we're susceptible to disease and death to one that's not subject to disease and death and suffering. Isn't that what we're promised? There'd be no more pain, no more suffering. So, and it also says that it is sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. You know, when, when we're at a funeral and you have a viewing and you see the individual there, they've been embalmed. Because of the way God created, it's a dishonor. I'm not saying don't do that, don't have funerals. What I'm saying God didn't create us with this amazing body so that we bury it six feet in the ground. We are so amazing. And and the problem with this dualism that we talked about last last couple Sabbaths ago is out in these other churches in the world, it's it's like the body's bad, but there's this immortal spirit that's good. No, we are good. God made us very good. Everything's good about us. The problem wasn't Adam and Eve's body. The problem was the decisions they made. That led to sin, which brought death to the body, okay, to the person. 
And when we're at a funeral, you look at that and you say, wow, this is, this is tragic. I know we're going to die. But you know, this beautiful body, it's like a dishonor to God that we've made the choices we've made and we dishonor the way he made us that we as a human family have to be putting our loved ones in a grave. I'm not saying don't do that. We do need to do things like that. But it's not, wasn't God's purpose. Um, but it will be raised in glory. You will have a glorious, incorruptible what? Body. Not just some spirit, some ethereal spirit. You will have an incorruptible, glorious body. We were created to have a body. Yes. What's that? Freeze to death. Oh, freeze to death? Oh, freeze to death. No, I'm not going there. I, yeah. uh, so, um, and then it says here, it is sown in weakness, it's raised in power. You get tired? And as you get older, you get more tired? How would you like to have a body where you had extra energy? <laughs> That's kind of what it's talking about, right? I don't think you're going to get tired in your new, incorruptible, immortal body. It will be raised in power. And whatever God asks you to do, you're going to have the energy to do it. But right now, it's like Jesus even asked the disciples. When he's in Gethsemane, he asked them to simply do what? Pray for him. Stay awake, pray for me. And he finds them because right now this body's become weak. But not long from now, it shall be raised in power. And if Jesus asks us to pray, we're not going to fall asleep. Is that right? We are able to be raised with a glorious new body because Jesus is risen. If Jesus is not risen, then we can't be raised with these new bodies. And so it goes back to the seed principle that I mentioned earlier at the beginning. Everything it produces after its kind. If our inheritance from Adam is all we have... That inheritance is death. But the inherit and that just means we're just going to die. The human race will eventually become extinct. But if we can be born of another seed, and if that person has himself life, because he's not just the son of man, he's the, he's the son of God. He's the resurrection and the life. He holds the keys. This is all wrapped up in one person. And if you're born of him and you follow him, you will now be born of that seed and you'll receive an incorruptible body because that's what he has. Okay? So our whole faith is, is in Christ. A spiritual body. Now notice this. This is where a verse people use and say, see, there's a spiritual body. It's like, a, like a, some ethereal kind of disembodied spirit. But notice what it says here, and this is kind of part of those previous verses. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body and there's a spiritual body, and people automatically say, oh, that means he doesn't have a body. But it does use the word body. <laughs> so, so it doesn't say non-body, you know. So, so we have to understand what's a spiritual body. And you can't interpret it as nobody. But it's part of that whole line of thinking. We are, we are corruptible now, but we shall receive 
but it's still a body. We, we are in dishonor, but it will, be, it will be glorious. And right now we're weak, but we'll have power. And right now it's natural, but it shall be So in Romans, I think it's, yeah, Romans right here. Notice what this is saying. The spiritual body will be ruled by the Holy Spirit, not by carnal impulses. For to be carnally minded, which is the mind we're all born with, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. What kind of life? Well, that leads to eternal life and peace from heaven. Because the carnal mind is empty against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. There's nothing wrong with my body except that it's fallen apart. And while I'm in a fallen world, in this fallen body, corruptible body, if I don't become spiritually minded, what am I going to do? I'm going to keep sinning in this body. But through a spiritual mind... I don't have to drink alcohol anymore, and I don't have to do this anymore, right? I can live and fall in the footsteps of Jesus, even in this body. Because I become spiritually minded, born again, right? But imagine having that mind in a new body that doesn't have the weakness of the flesh. And this is what he's promising us. You're going to have a spiritual body that has no taint of sin. Right? Like Adam and Eve had before they sinned. You'll have that kind of body with your spiritual mind. That's what we're wanting. And that's the spiritual body, that glorious eternal body that we're going to have where there won't be anything in us that prompts us to sin. Like Adam and Eve, they, they, they didn't sin because they had two hands. They sinned because they made a wrong choice. Okay? And we're going to have a body that will be innocent, void of disease, right? Not in the flesh. So let's think about what Paul says also in Romans 8. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so, that the spirit of God dwell in you. What is Paul saying? You're not in the flesh. You don't have a body anymore? Now that I'm a Christian, I'm just going to discard my body. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying we're no longer in the flesh because we're born again. What he's saying is that we're no longer simply giving in to the lusts of the flesh because we're born again. I can live a born again experience in this flesh, but what God promises me is a new body. Okay, that is not going to die. That's the logic of his argument here. Okay. There will not be a complete makeover of the human frame. God did not make any mistakes in the formation of male and female. So what will change? We will recognize each other, but we will have incorruptible bodies. And I mentioned this already. I kind of got ahead of myself. The original way God made us, he says, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish or fill the earth. Uh, there's nothing in the Bible that says we won't be resurrected as male and female anymore. It doesn't say there's just going to be a unisex, okay? We will be male and female, but there will not be any more childbearing, even though there will be children in heaven that will be raised up like calf in a stall, right? Um, and so that will be a beautiful place to grow up, right? 
I mean, we're all thankful for this life, but how many would have preferred to be raised up in heaven? Okay, there you go. So, everything that God created was very good. We know that. Therefore, God will not destroy his former creation, but he's going to restore it. Uh, this is really an important concept because, because there is, even within Christianity, the idea that the body's like a prison and we have this immortal spirit just needs to be free from the body kind of casts kind of a negative on the body. But what's important is God's not going to replace or destroy this former creation. He's going to do what? He's going to restore it. I'm going to get a. I'm still get in the resurrected. I'm still going to have how many noses? One mouth, two eyes. Right? He's going to very look. You know, he's not going to change the figuration of your face and your body. What God's going to do is He's going to restore us. Right? And he's also going to restore the earth. Are we going to have similar animals? Yeah, we're still going to have bears and squirrels. We're not going to have creations that we're probably not familiar with. God's going to restore them, and they won't die. Uh, everything that's in this world was created for our enjoyment and to take over because we belong here. And we belong in a body, and we belong on this earth. You know, we're only going to spend a thousand years in heaven. That's it. You're going to spend eternity here. And after you've lived here for a million years, you just started your residency here. Okay? You're going to live for trillions of years on this planet and forever. This is our home. We will have the chance to visit other worlds. And you'll be able to give your testimony. But this is our home. And God didn't make a mistake in how he made this world or how he made us. And this is why it's all going to be restored not made over, okay? Notice uh, in Romans 8, 22, 23, for we know that the whole creation, like animals too, groaneth and travail in pain together until now. Why is the whole creation groaning right now? What are they groaning about? Pain. Hunger. Animals groan? Do animals wish we lived in a world where there's no more pain? Everything in our creation groans because it's, there's death. All creation and we ourselves, not only, not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan with inside ourselves, waiting for what? The adoption to wit the what? The actual redemption of our what? Of our actual body. We can't wait till there's a time where I have I don't have to wear glasses anymore. And I don't have to have doctor visits. I groan for that. We should groan for this. We should groan for the second coming because at the second coming the old passes away and all things become new. And it's real. It's what he promised. This is the glory of the second coming of Christ. Victory over pain, victory over death, victory over everything that causes pain, that causes us to groan, will all be done away. Never to ever happen again. And just to think that that could happen just a few years from now. No more groaning, no more pain. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that something to tell the world? The redemption of our body simply means the redemption of the whole person. Paul wasn't saying, I just want my body redeemed. 
When he says body, what's he referring to? His whole being. But he realizes he always needs a body. Okay? Is it necessary for man to go to heaven at death for there to be continuity of life and not be forgotten who he was? And there are people who teach that. The reason why people die and go to heaven or hell right away is so they're not forgotten. How else could they be remembered? I mean, people who died 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 years ago, and you're just saying, Jeff, they're just in a, in a grave and they, they don't think anymore, they don't live anymore, they don't do anything anymore. Well, what about the continuity of life? Can't, don't they need to go somewhere right away? And the answer is no. God knew us before we were in our mother's womb. God doesn't need material to know who I am. Now notice what this is. Does, do, we, do we need that continuity right away? No, because our names are written in the, the book of life. Everything about you is in the book of life. Now the book of life is not for God's benefit. It's for created beings' benefit. For the judgment, to know that the judgment is right. Your life has been put together in a book perfectly. Not just your actions, your words, but your motives. Everything about you is in a book. God's not going to forget anyone. God doesn't need a book to remember you. But there is a judgment, and from those books we are, we are judged. And the whole universe will agree, because those books are perfect. Revelation 3, 5, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. Future, right? I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So people who've lived thousands of years before us could have their name in a book, the book of life. They're dead right now, but that's okay. They don't know that they're dead. They know they died when they died, probably, when they took their last breath. But since then, their thoughts perished. Right? But everything about him is in this book, and he says that he will confess them before the Father and his angels... How can Jesus confess them if he still doesn't know them? Right? To confess someone who's already died even thousands of years ago, Jesus still must know them long after they died. Is that true? To confess them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. This is at the end of the thousand years. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of the things written according to their, their works. For God to judge people... He'd have to remember everything about them. And again, the books is to represent, is really for created beings, okay, to be able to understand God's judgment and, and the final verdict. So, uh, as far as identity, it talks about the growing grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'm not going to get any taller. I can get wider, but I'm not going to get any taller. I can get older, but I can grow in grace. I can grow in my knowledge of God, you see, because that's really who I am. I am partly physical, there's no doubt about it. God, can you imagine this? You take the periodic chart of 128 elements or whatever it is now. You're always finding one, but anyway. And there's about 20-some of those that makes us. Six of those is about 98% of who we are, things like carbon. To me, it's just amazing how God can take just elements Form a human body, form a brain that has a mind, 
And a person has a character, and we're just made up of these chemicals, but God formed us in such an amazing way that we're a person. We're a being. We're a life. We're a body. We're a, a whole person that could live forever. And God does it. If he knows the hairs on my head, he must know something about what's in my heart, right? So the question here that the 80-year-old grandmother will have a glorious, incorruptible body, will she, while I should be will, uh, will she be uh, recognized physically in the new earth? Uh, I kind of worded that wrong, but the answer is, huh? Oh, it does make sense? Good. Okay. The 80-year-old grandmother will have a glorious, incorruptible body. While she will be recognized physically in the new earth, she will be known by her personality and character. And again, the, the point here is that we are not only known by our physical features, right? So look at this statement in the book of Maranatha 301. Our personal identity is preserved in the resurrection. Though not the same particles of matter or material substance as went into the grave, because we'll have glorious new bodies, cells that don't die. The spirit, the character of man, isn't that interesting? The spirit being the what? The character of man. Instead of us having an immortal spirit, your spirit is your character. That is either preparing for eternity or not. Okay? The spirit, the character of man, is returned to God. There to be preserved. Not that the person's conscious, but God knows them. In the resurrection, every man will have his own character. God in his own time will call forth the dead, giving again the breath of life and bidding the dry bones live. The same form will come forth, but it will be free from disease and every defect. It lives again, bearing the same individuality of features so that friend will recognize friend. Isn't that a beautiful statement? So my point of the 80-year-old grandmother is she won't look like she's 80 years old anymore. She'll look younger, vibrant, but if she'll have those same features that you'll still recognize her physically. But you'll also know her because of her, her personality and her character. Now, those are two different things. Does everybody here have a different personality? Yeah, you're a unique individual. And yet, we're all trying to build the same character, the character of in our unique personalities. So you can be like Jesus with your unique personality and somebody else is like Jesus and, and that provides a much greater witness for us, doesn't it? The disciples recognized Jesus in his glorious new body, right? After the resurrection. They recognized him. They wasn't, who's that? You know, no, they knew Jesus. Uh, and Jesus has graven us upon the pods of his hands. Psalm 49, or Isaiah 49, 15 and 16. What does it mean that he's engraven us in the palms of his hands? Engraven us. He died for us. How could he possibly forget the people for whom he died? We are, think of it, we are engraven not to be forgotten on the palms of Jesus' hands. A merciful, just God who could not possibly forget you because he died for you. How could he do that, right? Right? For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, what? Comfort one another with these words. So if in the resurrection we were, we were resurrected and looked so different, it wasn't hardly even us anymore, how could we comfort one another with these words? You see what I'm saying? The only way you could comfort one another with these words is because we will recognize one another, right? It will be us that are saved, okay? We're just going to get a body, but an incorruptible one. Notice this. Have you ever thought about Peter, James, and John? They're taken to the Mount of Transfiguration. And they see Jesus, and they also see Moses and Elijah. How did they know it was Moses and Elijah? There would only have been one other opportunity. Who could it have been? Who? Enoch. Right? Because if everybody goes to heaven or hell at the time of death, there would have been billions of people. And then it'd be like, well, how would they know it was Moses and Elijah? It could have been any one of a billion people. They knew it was Moses and Elijah, and I suppose the possibility is they were told. Uh, Peter, James, and us is actually Moses and Elijah here. So, But I don't think it happened that way. I don't think, you know. <laughs> I think they knew it was Moses and Elijah because who else could it be? Right? There are billions who've been resurrected already. There's three people who made it to heaven who were of the redeemed at this point in time. Jesus did take some with them at his resurrection, but this is before his resurrection. They knew it was Moses and Elijah because who else could it be? Now, where was Enoch at this time? I don't know. He had this glorious opportunity to be given his testimony in some unfallen world, I'm sure. But... They knew it was him because the Bible said Moses was resurrected and Elijah was taken, right? Or transferred. Oh, I guess that's it. So I will do, probably do one more on this because we haven't really talked about death and hell and some of the verses that people use to make try to get us to believe in dualism. But we do need to cover some of these problematic texts that people do use that confuses them about going to heaven or hell right away. And it is important because you're going to be witnessing to them. You're going to be studying with them. But part of what we've done now is we just want to look at the beauty of the fact that God himself hath immortality and that we are going to have a resurrected new body. And we all look forward to that blessed hope of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we have our closing prayer, we have a closing hymn.